All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, with uh, Christmas coming up, one of the things we think about and hear about during the Christmas season is angels. We hear a lot about angels. One of the, the trivia question this morning, of course, was uh, what was the name of the angel that spoke to Mary and Joseph? And we saw that, uh, of course, it was the angel Gabriel. And if you remember Pastor's message this morning, um, we looked at how the angels came and, well, well, an angel came and spoke to the shepherds, and then a heavenly host started to sing and uh, shout for joy about the coming Messiah. So there's a lot of angelic activity that happens around the Christmas story. And in this uh, passage, this portion of Hebrews chapter 1, it's important to remember who the author is writing to. He's writing to a group of Jewish believers who have grown up in a system of following the law, thinking that the law would earn them salvation. If they could just obey the law, they would be saved. And they've been saved out of that mindset. They've heard the gospel preached to them. They've accepted it. They've become a part of the church, the early church there. And I believe it was the early church in Jerusalem. Uh, and so they're a part of the church. And if you remember when we did our overview of Hebrews, the author is going to write to this group of people and um, rebuke them and exhort them to start meeting together again because they had neglected coming together and worshiping. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 10. And so the, the people that he's writing to have uh, begun to slip. They began to drift in their faithfulness to the Lord. And there's a temptation for them to revert back to Judaism, to revert back to uh, trying to keep the law in order to earn God's love instead of living in the grace that the gospel gives. And so it's important to consider all of those things as we look at this next portion of Hebrews. And the author is going to use the argument here that Christ is better than the angels. Christ is better than the angels. And there's a lot of confusion and a lot of different ideas about angels uh, today in this time. Um, but uh, we see here some, some, uh, an argument that clear, clears up some of this confusion about this idea of angels. Uh, angels, of course, they play an important part in the Bible. They were messengers. That's what an angel, that's what the word means to be a messenger of God. They would deliver a message. And it was always, uh, thus saith the Lord, not thus saith Gabriel, or thus saith Michael, but thus saith the Lord. They would deliver the message that God had given them uh, to the people they were supposed to deliver it to. And so here we see, though, uh, an argument being made that Christ is better than the angel. And it's important to consider what's going on. Why is he making this argument? Um, and there's a, there's a reason. Uh, again, one of the reasons is that these people had begun to slip, to turn from the faith, if you will. Look at, before we look at chapter 1, look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse number 1. Therefore, and it starts with therefore, so the preceding verses are an argument leading up to the point he's going to make in chapter 2. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest 
heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So therefore, because of the things we're going to look at tonight, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. And he's talking about the gospel, the message that the church had received from Christ and then from the disciples. And it's began, again, because these people had began to let those things slip. They had began to revert back to the law, back to Judaism. And so he's making the argument here that Christ is better than the angels. Let's look at uh, verse number four of chapter one. We're going to read that and then pray against the message this evening. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 4, we're going to look at verses 4 through 14 this evening. So chapter 1 verse number 4 says, "...being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they." Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this night that you've given us, and Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and to look at your word this uh, evening. And uh, to consider, Lord, that you're better than the angels. Um, Lord, that as we worship you, we're not worshiping a messenger of God. We are worshiping God himself uh, in the form of a man. And so, Lord, I ask that you would just help us uh, to understand this truth this evening, that uh, you came. You came as a man. You came as a baby. You lived as a man and died a death, Lord, so that we could be saved. I pray that you'd help us to remember these things, especially as we come upon Christmas. Lord, help us to um, understand these truths that you have for us this evening. I pray that you'd help me, Lord, to be emptied of self and filled with your spirit, Lord, and I pray that you would speak through me as only you can. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we get into some of the, the main message, it's important to consider some context here. The group of people that the author is writing to, they would have been aware of some heresies that were floating around in this time in the early church. And one of those uh, heresies that was floating around was this idea that the angels were spiritual beings that were worthy of being worshipped. It's true that angels are spiritual beings, but angels are not worthy of worship. Only God is worthy of worship. Angels and demons are very much real beings. They're spiritual beings that we might not be able to see with our physical eyes, but they're real. But they are not the objects of our worship. And so it's, it's important for us to understand that during this time, there were those who began to fall into this trap of angel worship. And that might seem obvious to us that, well, of course we don't worship angels. We might say that we understand that, but you'd be surprised at how many today would claim to be a Christian and worship angels or listen to the teaching of so-called angels. I think about the Mormon church. If you're familiar with Mormonism, the name comes from a supposed angel that gave Joseph Smith's tablets found in upstate New York. Of course, this is make-believe, uh, but he believed that an angel named Moroni delivered him some tablets in upstate New York, and from there you have the cult of Mormonism, and they, they were persecuted. They actually came to Kansas City, and they were persecuted there, and then they made their home in Utah. Uh, but Joseph Smith claimed to receive his message, the Book of Mormon, from an angel, and people today, there's many, many people that are in this cult of Mormonism following teachings uh, that they believe they have received from an angel. 
And so it's a very real thing today that uh, people uh, face in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, angels are often venerated almost to a position of deity where they wear pictures of an angel around their neck as uh, hoping that the angel will deliver them from their troubles instead of placing their faith in Christ and trusting in Him as they live. And so this idea of uh, almost deifying angels is a very real thing today that we need to be careful of. It's important to realize uh, uh, what these, uh, the issues that the individuals in this time were, were facing, uh, the temptation to worship angels. Um, also, the, the Jewish people, they, they of course, they, they uh, followed the law. And one of the reasons they followed the law and they placed such a heavy emphasis on the law is because it was given, delivered by angels. Of course, it's the law of God, but it was delivered by angels. We see that in Acts chapter 7 and verse 38. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers, who received the lively oracles to give unto us who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19 says this, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. The Pharisees and the Judaizers uh, took the Old Testament very seriously upon the authority that it was given by angels. They, they taught we need to keep the law. It's very important that we keep the whole law because it was given by angels. And of course, the law is important. The law is significant, even for us. But we don't follow the law in order to earn salvation. The law shows us our need to be saved. The law shows us that we... Uh, cannot earn our salvation. The law of God shows us that we've broken that law and we need somebody who can forgive us and redeem us for breaking that law. And in that person is Jesus Christ. And so the law is not the end point of the Christian faith. The law shows us who that end point is. It's Jesus Christ. The law points us to the one who saves us. But in this time, the, the, the Jewish believers who are in this early church, they face the temptation to revert back to keeping the law to earn salvation, to earn God's love, instead of living from a point of grace and uh, from, from Christ. They, they were tempted to revert back to keeping this law because there were those around them who were teaching the law is important. It was given by angels, and you need to keep the law in order to be saved because it was given by angels. So I hope you see that the emphasis upon the law in this time was because it was given by angels. Well, the author is making the point here, if the law that was given by angels was important, and it is important, the law of God, if that was important because it was given by angels, how much more important is the gospel who is given by the Son of God himself? How much more important is it that we live by grace uh, th through Christ because it's his message? And so if, if you're going to listen to an angel, how much more ought you listen to the Son of God? I, th I think about the shepherds this morning when pastor was preaching. Put yourself in their shoes. If you were there and then an angel appeared to you out of nowhere, you would be frightened. You would listen up. Your ears would be uh, paying attention. Time might seem to stand still, and you're going to listen to what's being said. If you would do that for an angel, how much more are we to listen to Jesus Christ, the Son of God? 
in the gospel. And so we see here this argument being made, and he starts in verse 4 saying that, being made, he's talking about Jesus, so much better than the angels. Christ is so much better than the angels. Why? And it says, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, than the angels. Christ has a more excellent name than the angels. And the idea of name there is the idea of his very nature, of who he is. By his very nature, Christ is better than the angels. Uh, and so, so this is the argument that, that he's going to make. Uh, when you think of names, uh, I think of and you might be able to think of some certain family names in this town. You know, some names have a certain connotation with them. You hear a certain last name, and you think, well, that family's got a lot of money. And you hear a different last name, and you think, well, that family, uh, they're kind of goody-goody. And then you hear a different family name, and you think, well, that family's just kind of weird. And so I'm going to stay away from them. <laughs> and so you think of uh, the idea of a name. A name is the idea of a reputation, of what some, something or someone is known for because they carry that name. And Christ has a name. It's who he is. It's his very nature. It's, it's the very essence of, of his being. And in his nature and who he is, He's so much better than the angels. And so in this passage, we have seven quotes from the Old Testament that the author gives us. Seven references, direct quotes from the Old Testament. We see four rhetorical questions, two statements about Christ, and one statement about angels in this passage. And so first we're going to look at four rhetorical questions. And these questions are meant to be answered with a no. Uh, that's uh, the implication. And so the first one we see is in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 5. If you would look there, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Right there in verse 5, you have two quotes from the Old Testament. The first rhetorical question uh, in verse 5 is a quote of Psalm chapter 2 in verse number 7. If you want to write these down, you can look them up later. Psalm chapter 2 in verse number 7 says this, I will declare the decree, the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Jesus Christ has a more excellent name than the angels because he is the begotten son of God. The idea of a begotten son is different than the idea of being, being called a son of God. In the Old Testament, one example is in Genesis chapter 6. The angels are often called sons of God, uh, but they are not the begotten son of God. In the New Testament, as believers, we are adopted into God's family called sons of God through Jesus Christ. But you and I are not the begotten son of God. And Jesus Christ is the begotten Son of God. The idea of begotten carries with it an idea of uniqueness, uh, of being different. Jesus Christ is not a Son of God. He is the begotten Son of God. He is unique in His nature. And so the idea of begotten carries with it an idea of uniqueness. In the Old Testament, Isaiah, or sorry, Isaac is called the begotten son of Abraham. Of course, uh, he is not the only son of Abraham. Ishmael is a son of Abraham, but Ishmael is not the begotten son. Isaac is the begotten son because of his uniqueness as the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that he would give him a son. And so in that sense, Isaac is the only begotten son of Abraham. And so too, Christ is the only begotten son of God. 
He is uh, unique. He's, he's, uh, he's different. If you're saved, you're called a son of God, but you are not the begotten son of God. I am not the begotten son of God. Angels are referred to as sons of God, but they are not the begotten son of God. Begotten also speaks to the equality and substance of the essential nature of Christ with God. It's the idea that Christ and God are one and the same, that, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And so it's important to recognize that Christ is so much better than the angels because he is God. He's God in the flesh. Not once has an angel been called the begotten Son of God. You know an angel that wanted to be like the Most High, that wanted to be like God? It was uh, Satan. It was Lucifer. Before he was cast out of heaven, he wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to be like the begotten Son of God, but he was not. And so he was cast out of heaven for his pride. So the position of the begotten Son of God is not something that can be taken. It's a position that simply is. Christ is the begotten Son of God. He is God. So that's one quote there. Uh, Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. The next one is uh, the, the second half of verse 5. It's a quote of 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14. The first part of that. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7 and verse 14, which says this, I will be his father and he shall be my son. Again, it has never been said of any angel that God would be his father and he would be his son. Only Christ is the son of God. Angels are created by God, but Christ is co-equal with God. He's co-eternal with God. Uh, Christ is uncreated because Christ is the creator. But that can't be said of any angel. And so we see in verse 5, two quotes. Uh, if you could look at chapter, verse 6 of chapter 1, we see the third quote. Um, verse 6 says this of Hebrews chapter 1. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. That's a quote of Psalm chapter 97, verse 7. Psalms 97, 7 says this. Confounded be all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all ye gods. The Hebrew word that is used for gods at the end of this psalm is the word Elohim. And in the Old Testament, the word Elohim can be a title uh, of God, or it can be used to refer to a spiritual being in general. And here in Psalm 97, verse 7, it's a reference to spiritual beings or angels in general. And so the angels are told to worship God. Uh, but Christ is not told to worship God because he is God. And the angels worship him. And so there, there's no command in Scripture to worship angels. In fact, every time that you see men trying to worship angels in the Bible, they're rebuked uh, immediately for doing so. But Christ never refused to worship while he was on the earth. There were times when individuals would bow down and worship Jesus Christ, and he would accept that worship because he is God and he is worthy of our worship. It was, it was and is wrong to worship angels because they're created beings like you and I are created beings. And it would be equally wrong for us to accept worship from somebody else. But for Christ, we worship him because he is the creator. And so all angels will, will worship him. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's talking about us, human beings, but also the angels are going to bow down and worship 
uh, God. Satan himself is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, and so uh, Jesus Christ is worthy of worship. Um, number four is, uh, we're going to skip down to verse 13 of chapter 1. This is uh, the fourth rhetorical question that has to be answered with no. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? That's a quote of Psalm 110, verse 1, which says this, The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. To sit at the right hand of God means to be one in authority with Him. And it's never been said of any angel that they would sit on the right hand of God. They, they serve around the throne. They, they serve the throne, but they do not sit on the throne. You cannot sit on the throne if you're serving the throne. It is only Christ who sits on the throne of God because He is God. And we see that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, 21, and 22, which says this, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ." who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. The angels are subject unto Christ because Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's one in authority and power with God because he is God. And so the, the angels, they minister to Christ. They serve around the throne, but again, they're not seated on the throne. They cannot be because Christ is there. And so we see four rhetorical questions in this passage, and now we see two statements about Christ. Two statements about Christ. Look at chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. That statement there is a quote, a direct quote of Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. And I'm not going to read that because it's pretty much word for word. But you can look it up, Psalm 45, 6 and 7. And this is a statement in the Old Testament made about Christ. And that's not a statement that can be said about any angel. The throne of Christ is forever. But it's never said in the Old Testament that a throne of an angel is forever. Uh, because Christ is eternal. Angels are not eternal. They're created by God. They had a beginning point. But Christ did not. Christ has no beginning because He has always existed. And then it tells us that the scepter of Christ uh, is righteousness. And that, uh, the idea of his scepter is that he rules with justice. That Christ reigns with authority. He reigns with power. Uh, Christ uh, is one day coming to rule and to reign on the earth. He's coming as a king and a judge. But not the angels. They're not our judge or our king. Christ is. And so, um, so Christ, can, Christ can never be judged like the angels can be judged. Uh, 
Satan was once an angel. He's going to be uh, judged and cast into hell along with all of those demons that followed him in rebellion. They will be judged by Christ. Uh, we will be judged by, by Christ. We'll give an account of what we've done with our time and what we've done with our talents and how we serve the Christ or how... Uh, serve Christ or how we wasted our time. And, but that's not going to happen with Christ. He's going to be the one doing the judging, not us and not an angel. And so Christ is going to be uh, our judge. He, he has a scepter of righteousness. And then the next statement is in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. And, and now we see the statement, Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. That is a direct quote of Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. Psalm 102, 25 through 27. It can never be said of the angels that they laid the foundation of the world. Uh, because they did not exist before uh, the world was created. Christ created the angels like he created you and I. Uh, but Christ laid the foundation of the world, both this physical world that we see and the spiritual world that we do not see. So Christ has created all things, seen and unseen. He's laid the foundation of the world with the word of his power. And we saw last week that he upholds it by the power of his word. That can't be said of any angel. Uh, creation shall, shall perish, but Christ will never perish. He's everlasting. And so we see those two statements about Christ, and finally we see a statement about the angels. In Hebrews chapter 1, look at verse number 7 and verse 14. They're both similar statements. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7 says this, And of the angels he saith, and here's the quote, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? That is a quote of Psalm 104, verse 4. Psalm 104, verse 4, which says exactly that. Who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire? The angels of God are made to be ministers. And to be a minister is to be a servant of God. They're made of flame of fire. The idea there is that... Uh, they, they often appear in different forms, and they, they, can, they change shape, and they come in different ways and different means. Look at verse 14. Um, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? The angels are sent to minister uh, and deliver word to, to mankind, They're, and then they minister to Christ. Uh, and so we see here they hold a position of service. Um, we see that they, 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 they're changing, but Christ is never changing. Christ is always the same. Uh, Christ appears as himself, and so they, they serve. And so we see four rhetorical questions, two statements and one about Christ and one statement about the angel. But we circle back to verse number four, if you could look there. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Christ has a better name than the angels because he has a greater position than the angels. Uh, Christ is better than the angels because he is not made. Christ is the maker. Christ is better than the angels uh, because he is not merely a son of God. He is the begotten son of God. Uh, Christ is better than the angels because he's not a servant of God. He is God and he is served by the servants of God. 
by the angels and by us. And so when it comes to our view of, of angels, and when, as Christmas comes around, we hear a lot about angels, we need to have a, a right view of them. Um, they, they ought not to be lifted to a position of, of worship. Uh, they ought not to be given a position of honor above Christ. Uh, they, Christ deserves our worship. He is the one that, that we, we live for and serve. In fact, we're warned in the New Testament um, that we can be deceived by angels. Uh, fallen angels is the idea. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. You know, if those trapped in the cult of Mormonism would read that verse. Uh, to, to not listen to any gospel that's preached besides what has been preached by Christ and the disciples, uh, let them be accursed. Uh, but when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to the gospel message, we need to realize that it is from Christ Himself. It's from the Creator. We've been given a message to share with the world, to go into the world and preach the gospel to, uh, to everybody that we see. And it's a message from the messenger himself, uh, not from an angel, not from a person, but from, from God himself. And we're telling them about uh, what he's done for them, that he's, that he's come to this earth as a baby. He lived a perfect life. He obeyed the law of God perfectly like we can never do, and he gave his life on the cross. And he shed his blood, and he died on that cross, and he was buried, and he rose again three days later so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have salvation. And we've been given that message. We've been given that message to deliver to the world, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family, to those that we come in contact with. But are we doing that? You know, again, we ask this question, what if an angel came to you directly and appeared to you like they did the shepherds? We would listen. We would do something about it. I believe I would. If an angel appeared to me, I would be like the shepherds. Well, what about Christ? He's given you a message in His Word, and what are you doing with it? Are you going out and sharing it with others? Are you telling others about the love of Christ? Do you obey the Lord? Christ said if we love Him, we would keep His commandments. We would walk the Christian life. But are we doing that? I believe we would do that if we realized that we're serving the one who's, who's better than any, any created being. He's better than any man, any angel. Uh, he is the creator himself, and he's given us... Uh, an objective. He's given us uh, a mission to preach the gospel, and that is our calling as believers uh, to share the message of salvation. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word this evening, and I thank you